Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and education purposes only and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who help us create resources for a diverse audience. If you're moved by our mission and find our work valuable, please consider becoming an official patron. You'll help keep the Full Bloom podcast going strong. And as a new benefit, patrons can submit their body-positive parenting questions to be answered in future podcast episodes in Season 3. You write in whatever body-positive parenting question is on your mind, and we'll find a qualified researcher or expert to respond to that question on the show. Become a patron now to have your body-positive parenting question expertly answered by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast. This is episode number 44. This week, we're going to talk about dads, but before we get into it, we want to let you know that we will be taking a two-week holiday break to spend body-positive quality time with our family and kiddos. We will be back with a brand new episode on January 8th. Yeah. So let's talk about dads. Yes, we really haven't. To be fair, we haven't talked so much specifically about moms either, but we did talk about that research on body-positive communication with moms in episode number 14. And we're both moms, so I think by default, a lot of the time we're generally speaking from that perspective. There is a really important question, though, which is whether a male parent or male caregiver has a different role in promoting body positivity than a mom might. What should dads be doing to communicate body positivity and help their kids, boys, girls, all genders, grow up without struggling with body image or food? It's really important to talk about. I know that we both see in our work with families doing family-based treatment for anorexia and bulimia that all caregivers play an essential role. And we've discussed in the past episodes the importance of having a united front of body positivity, so being in agreement and sharing the same messaging with all of the important adults in your child's life. Yes, and we both decided it was time this week to have a more specific conversation about what dads and any male caregivers should know and can be doing to really effectively support their kids' emerging body image and healthy relationship to food and exercise. We're joined today by Kyle Ganson, who is a clinical social worker in private practice and a PhD candidate at Simmons University in Boston. In his work, he's assisted fathers and male caregivers throughout the eating disorder recovery process. 
He's both run an outpatient group and worked individually with these men for several years, and he recently published an article interviewing clinicians about bringing men into the eating disorder recovery process. While we aren't going to focus on eating disorder recovery in this episode because we want this conversation to speak to all parents and really address prevention, Kyle's insights from his work and his research are powerful lessons that can be applied to all families who want to help their kids build and protect body positivity. Kyle, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Oh, thank you for having me. So we are so excited to talk to you today. We really haven't had this conversation yet, but first we want to get to know a little bit about you and what your background is and the work you do with male caregivers, with family members who are in eating disorder recovery. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Sure. So I'm a clinical social worker. Um, Currently, I'm in private practice, um, and I've been in private practice for a little bit over five years now. And previous to that, um, I had worked uh, in a residential treatment center for eating disorders and um, had done some work outpatient-wise working with young girls with eating disorders, adolescent girls with eating disorders, in like a support group for them. So most of my practice is specializing in eating disorders, specifically among adolescent boys and young adult men, though I do see you know, girls and women more frequently, as well as you know, working with people with uh, anxiety and depression and post-traumatic stress, et cetera. And my work with male caregivers really came out of my work at the residential treatment center. Um, it was specifically for women, and we we accepted women sixteen and older. And you know, through that time, um, being at the residential program, uh, we did a family group on the weekends, and just kind of seeing who was coming into those groups and who would come into family meetings, and just sort of like the patterns of um, how clinicians worked with families. Um, it became really apparent to me that male caregivers were often left out or on the sidelines. And, and those who did come often showed a pretty strong interest, but sort of lacked the the ability to actually engage in a treatment effectively. Yeah, so my, my interest sort of just stemmed from there. And, um, you know, I've tried my best in my practice to engage male caregivers both in treatment um, individually as a support, um, you know, when they seek me out to, to get support and, and help to how to care effectively, um, but also just through working with individuals and, and involving uh, male caregivers as much as possible. So that, that's kind of how I came to, to the work. Um, and I did, I did run a group for about a year, I would say, working specifically just with male caregivers. Mm. Um, and they were primarily, uh, fathers is primarily who I've ended up working with, more, less so than spouses or partners. But, um, and just providing them a space where they could really um, you know, ask questions that were hard to ask in front of their, their spouse, their female spouse, or their you know, young, young female daughter or young male son. And also just kind of a space to just be like, I, I just don't know what to do. Um, so that's kind of how I, I came to this work. Yeah. Leslie and I have both worked in eating disorder treatment for many years, and I worked on an inpatient unit for a time. And it's interesting what you've chosen to focus on and study and offer additional space to is so needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think anecdotally about how oftentimes you do see that exclusion and we loved hearing about this article you published in April about bringing male caregivers into the recovery process. Yeah. And just wonder if you can share with our listeners what themes you uncovered when looked into fathers' involvement in mm-hmm. caring for young people struggling with issues like eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the article kind of, I should say, I didn't actually interview fathers per se. I interviewed clinicians because I was really curious about what clinicians do or don't do 
to um, bring male caregivers into the process, um, essentially kind of looking at what barriers and facilitators are there. And most of the themes kind of centralized around um, this idea of like gender role socialization. One of the major themes was lack of knowledge and experience, right? Where these fathers actually didn't know how to talk about body image or eating disorders or treatment. And, and so they didn't have that like language and that experience to actually engage in the treatment process compared to the female caregivers. They did have that possibility. Another theme that really came up and arose um, from talking with these clinicians was just that males sort of fell into this like family-defined role where they were either like the quote-unquote primary breadwinner, which then left a lot of the parenting to the the mothers and the support um, to the mothers. And so that was that was another major like theme that came out. And then another theme was this idea of like layers of avoidance, where it kind of like really directly stems out of this like socialization for males to be, um, you know, quite avoidant of like emotional experiences or being quite pragmatic and sort of concrete thinkers and solution focused, where they avoided the conversations by being very concrete, like I just need to get my my daughter into you know school and get past this semester, or um, why don't we just ha- why can't you know she just follow this uh, meal plan and, and get better, right? Like very very concrete and like solution oriented, which which left a lot of the emotional piece, which we know is so important in the recovery process, you know, on the sideline, which then ultimately left them on the sideline. And then one of the most important and I think surprising themes in some ways was actually just treatment providers in general as barriers. Um, mm. Many times, and, and I think I fell into this trap too, and I'm sure other clinicians could relate to this, but you know, you get a point person to speak to at home, and oftentimes that person was the, the female caregiver or the mother. The male caregivers were inherently left on the sideline because um, we as clinicians were not doing enough of a good, a good enough job engaging you know, the males as well, like reaching out to them and assuming that the mother would sort of relay the information or inviting them and making the space or scheduling you know, time that would work around their schedule as well to bring them into the, the treatment program or into the office to do family sessions or to do groups, et cetera. So that was sort of a surprising theme that came up in the interviews I had with these clinicians. But in general, it just seemed like this overall lack of awareness, lack of knowledge, lack of just like language, like the specific language around body image, right, was really really a a huge barrier for their involvement. I'm just curious, going back to what you shared at the beginning with that male caregiver group you had at one point, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't catch, was that an outpatient group or was that part of your residential? That was, that was an outpatient group. Yeah. It was part of my private practice and I probably had about a handful of guys kind of come and go. And uh, like a lot of this, the space was about, most of it was psychoeducation. A lot of it was like problem solving around, like, how do I talk to my, it was mostly, they had mostly, you know, female daughters who were experiencing eating disorders. Um, you know, how do I talk to them about X, Y, and Z around food, around body image? How do I sort of be a person who can lay kind of a, draw the line around meal planning or making sure they're eating enough, but also be this like fun dad that I've always been, um, you know, stuff like that, that they were sort of balancing, but they didn't know how to actually do that, how, what the support skills they needed or the psychoeducation around language or stuff like that. So that was, that was a major aspect of that. that yeah. Work. I mean, I, I was actually struck by not just the idea that you had to offer the, the space to that, but that you could get people in. I mean, I think that that can be one of the barriers too, mm-hmm. right, for young men um, yep. with disordered eating or with other kind of mental health issues that they're sort of also socially conditioned not to come forward as much. So we have a lot of underreporting in general. Yeah. So yeah. that you even were able to get a handful of guys in 
Yeah, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was a very <laughs> trying experience. Yes, I bet. <laughs> I, I mean, bet, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> outpatient groups are extremely difficult. Um, oh my gosh, let alone an outpatient are. group of of you know four or five men. Um, and yeah, it was extremely hard, and it was it was very. I mean, unfortunately, that's one of the reasons why it, it sort of ended was because I just couldn't keep them coming. But you know, I think it served its purpose. I think it was really helpful. You know, and I and I you know luckily was able to build strong relationships with local providers who were willing to to really vouch for the group and the space that that I created for them. So that was obviously very helpful. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, I mean, we both do FBT, so we really involve the family, but it's often challenging to Mm -hmm. have dad show up. I've found, you know, I have to really, really Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. kind of insistent about that. And even then, you know, I see these same things that you you saw. It's often Mm -hmm. the father feeling like they just can't do this right, Mm -hmm. or they just... The woman just does it so much better, even though the right. woman's the female caregiver is is challenged as well, and that the the father tends to, or the dad in in my families tend to defer mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the mom, which is just an interesting dynamic. I think, yeah. like you found, you know, there's probably so many reasons why that is, and I'm probably perpetuating that too <laughs> without even, mm-hmm. you know, meaning to, um, mm-hmm. but. Because our podcast is really focused on thinking about prevention and, and mm-hmm. thinking, hypothesizing about it and, and looking at the research, we want to try to focus this conversation on prevention, wondering together kind mm-hmm. of if we could take anything away from your work that could mm-hmm. be relevant to families who may not be in the midst of recovery, but who are in a stage where they're kind of hoping to protect and promote body positivity in their mm-hmm. kids. What is... For this question, we'll just ask it like, what's dad's role Mm -hmm. in nurturing intuitive eating and healthy body image in his kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. If I can pause and just say one more thing about the article that that came out of it that was super helpful for me, um, is that I think something that worked really well about the group that I had, but also I think about, and I, and I know you both are in outpatient treatment as well, but even for, you know, IOP or PHP or, or you know, even in outpatient groups and, and whatnot. Um, but this idea that came up was this idea that men beget men was one of the like direct quotes from one of the participants and that mm. the more men we actually get in the room, mm-hmm. the more men we involve, the more it becomes a norm that they're part of the process. I think the more welcome they feel and the more like normalized it is for them to be there. So I yeah, I just think that's an important component of of how I guess how we can engage even single fathers or spouses um you know that 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 it is important that they're involved and that I mean not to sort of like tell them that other men are involved too, but like kind of tell them that other men are involved in the process too. So they they know that it's a welcome space for them and that they can actually do a lot of really good things. Um, and the other thing I'll say too is about the article is that certainly the, you know, the participants talked a lot about experiences where, you know, male caregivers or fathers weren't really involved or had a lot of difficulty becoming involved. But they also talked about many experiences where, you know, fathers or, you know, even uncles, I think they, one of the participants shared about like a whole family and male caregiver, male, you know, males and their family, like uncles and cousins and whatnot, you know, got super involved in like a needle walk, you know. So I think there are opportunities that we can capitalize on. And, mm-hmm. and it's not all, you know, men, obviously, that are no. um, not a part of the, the process. But um, there are, are, of course, issues that are there that we need to be aware of. But to go back to your question about prevention, um, I think the major aspect, you know, knowing, you know, knowing that you're, you know, the podcast and your work you're trying to do is promoting body positivity and this intuitive eating, 
you know, I think the major aspect for fathers is that they just, they need to be involved in these domains, that they're not, you know, I think they're socialized to be in domains of the female caregiver or women in general. And I just think that um, we need to sort of start to shift that narrative so that that men can be involved in that process and they should be involved in the conversations with their with their children. And, and I think it's a misconception to think that they can't be or shouldn't be. And we need, yeah, we just need to better educate them with the language and normalize the process that men have, exp- have you know, relationships with their bodies and food as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so however we can do that in a cultural level is, is going to make waves, I think, in promoting intuitive eating and healthy body you know, image and body positivity for our children. Yeah, that their role is just as equal as the -hmm. other caregiver's role. And we need to try to figure out how to Mm -hmm. help. And just I'm thinking as, you know, as a parent myself and Mm -hmm. just even like managing the food in the household, Mm -hmm. you know, and the grocery shopping. And like it definitely does end up being something that I take on. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Although recently I have experimented with my husband planning (laughs) dinners and we – because our life is crazy and <laughs> and for for multiple reasons we actually use like um like hello fresh and so it's pretty mm. easy for him because he just has to pick like three different recipes a week but still there is something meaningful to me in saying yeah. well you can be you in can charge of this, this just like I can you know mm. like let's share this together yeah, yeah. it's interesting i'm just making a connection to an episode we recorded earlier this season Kyle, we spoke with Dr. Michael Reichart, who wrote mm-hmm. How to Raise a Boy. Yeah, um, that was great. And yeah, it's a, it's he's a very lovely person, and that's a, a wonderful book. And I'm thinking just about how, yes, we're talking about dads and how to engage mm-hmm. male caregivers, but those male caregivers were once little boys. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking, too, about how, you know, most of our listeners are female. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lots of moms listening and certainly a lot of um, clinicians and dietitians mm-hmm. and folks like that listening. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about if you are a conscientious parent, you know, mother mm-hmm. like listening and you're raising a boy to be thinking about the space for your little boy to have emotions yeah. and to know that they're allowed to feel as intensely or as deeply as their sisters are. I see how, especially if a parent that's listening to our podcast is maybe listening because they have, let's say, a genetic mm-hmm. risk factors in their family and that, you know, it's it's possible that that could carry over. And I'm just thinking about how this conversation is as helpful to a parent of a young boy listening who will mm-hmm. maybe one day be a, a male caregiver, right? Right, right. Um, As it is for, you know, listeners that want to actually get their, let's say, male partner more involved. You know, something I was thinking about was, you know, that father, I mean, given that my work is often focused on, you know, um, adolescent boys and young adult men, thinking about how fathers can actually talk to their sons about just general cultural expectations about, you know, the male body and um, even, you know, cultural expectations around food. I think there's there's different messages given to young boys and, and men about food than there are to young girls and young women. So, uh, I mean, in thinking about things like, you know, performance-enhancing substances um, or supplements and, um, you know, excessive exercise or, like, sports and, um, you know, sort of expectations about, like, what coaches expect and all that stuff. So I think... I just think that there's a space there for fathers to engage their sons um, 
in conversations. And it could be really as simple as an open-ended, like, what do you think about that? You know, your coach seems to be pressuring you to do, you know, two a days. And like, how do you feel about that? Right. Rather than like sanctioning that behavior as totally normal and acceptable for boys. Whereas if a similar thing was happening for a girl, you know, maybe it's not exercise per se, maybe it is, um, you know, there, there might be more of a conversation that happens, um, so I just think opening up those conversations that fathers um, and and mothers can have with their sons is really important. And one of one of the things I was thinking about that was if you're a father and you watch sports with your kids or something like that, I often think a lot about they talk about male bodies, they show male body stats. You know, you can't look on Instagram and see you know the Rock his Instagram feed without seeing his crazy workout videos, like and how extremely muscular he is and. I think that that's an avenue for conversations about body image, about um, exercise, about maybe unhealthy eating behaviors and supplement use that could ultimately, you know, protect that kid or just open up a dialogue that reveals something that a parent didn't know about their kid as they were thinking about, you know, their own body and compared to these athletes or, you know, what others think about them and um, or, or how they how they see bodies in the world. So. Um, I think there's opportunity to actually have more conversations if we are um, willing to and aware of it, especially with with young boys. Yeah, I mean, this conversation kind of on the heels of our conversation with Bryn Austin, really talking about her particular work and getting the sports performance supplements off the shelves or with major warnings. It's just really interesting to me because I have had a few more boys in my practice lately than, than usual. Um, and just talking to you because you see more boys probably than I have, it's a, it's a bit different. And I'm noticing the difference for me feels like it's more minimized and more kind of normalized, expected, you know, and there's all these, like these boys are coming in being like, what? I mean, similar to kind of other eating disorders that come into my office, very, very resistant and, not wanting to change at all and not seeing any problems, but just the fact that they're young boys, it just feels harder to really take seriously, mm. even though I, I am taking it seriously. It just feels hard. The, the conversation feels even harder. Hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if you've noticed that, how to get the parents on board um, and just how to help parents dads included like how to help them take it seriously yeah yeah Yeah. I don't know have you noticed that yeah I mean I definitely I think that's a really good observation um and I think that's what I kind of meant by these like sort of socially sanctioned right like Mm -hmm. I think we we don't see I think maybe part of what you're saying is like we don't see young boys who are maybe struggling with exercise or um you know just like sports performance um you know, we don't see them as much distress. Like almost, there's almost like a a stereotype that like, oh, you're gonna be fine. Like, you know, it's you're just putting too much pressure on yourself, or like, you know, it it doesn't. It's not like up to that level of like someone who is re- severely restricting their food or like binging and purging to excessive amounts that really creates distress and um, interferes with their life. I think that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's about educating parents, I think, to see that it's it's causing problems. Like it's not I'm trying to get better athletically or I'm um, just feeling like I'm not good enough at my sport. Right. I think it's about the level of distress and how it's interfering in in the kid's life. Um, And so making that a a major highlight point, I think, would be would be key. Um, But I think also educating parents on 
just the fact that this they were having this conversation, right? That there is this sort of stereotype one way or the other, and there's this culture, these cultural messages one way or the other. That if parents can be aware of and they can see, oh, this this is something that's not you know as much talked about yet it's still a problem. They might feel more welcome to you know engaging in the treatment or um, you know supporting their kids or or and it might even be easier to actually help educate that kid on what's actually going on um, for them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think naming it is is extremely important. And on that topic of engagement, I know we're sort of talking right now about bringing the boy into mm-hmm. in, into the into the conversation, but if we want to engage our male caregivers, whether that's like our male partner, fathers, mm-hmm. or, or like a coach or mm-hmm. you grandfather, know, grandfather, uncle, <laughs> like you were saying, like bring them into this process. Yeah. Focusing kind of in that prevention space, right. Around promoting positive body image and preventing disordered eating. What would you recommend people do? Like what have you found are good ways to actually get this conversation going and engage men on this topic? Well, I think it could just be a general question about how, just like parents talk about, you know, how they're going to parent their kids about all types of stuff, right? Like punishment or education or expectations or consequences, all that. I think you can have the conversation about how do we want to parent our kids to be body positive? How do we want to parent our, our sons or daughters to be body positive and eat intuitively, right? I think those are conversations that spouses should have, um, just like they would have a, a conversation about it in any other, and for any other sort of topic. I think along with that, coming to the conversation, whether it be a father, uh, you know, an uncle, you know, any sort of male caregiver, whoever that might be, with this understanding that they probably aren't going to have the same level of knowledge or understanding or awareness or language to have the conversation or, or even like emotional depth in some way. This is a big generalization. I don't mean to make it so so like all encompassing because there's going to be nuances in there. But I think I think more often than not, it's going to be a harder conversation for them to engage in than if uh, two women were speaking about it. Um, again, just because we've been socialized that that it's not so much of a problem for for men or boys. Um, so they're they're going to lack some of that knowledge. So I think operating from that baseline, you know, if you go into it with that kind of baseline, then you're likely going to get farther with it, and you're likely going to be able to hopefully come up with some way of helping them be involved in in this process of nurturing our kids to be body positive and having conversations about body image or food um, in a you know healthy or uh, adaptive way um, that creates lifelong you know positive patterns and not you know negative patterns. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, I mean, I encourage all of our listeners to like have a conversation with your partner in general, just about, you know, listening to the podcast and these ideas and just kind of let us know, like, what's the result of those conversations? Because I think that is, like you said, that's where it starts just thinking about like sleep training and all the conversations Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to have with my husband about that. And, you know, and that I'm just more inclined to kind of be like, what do I do here? Like go to the book and read it and get all this like information and knowledge and then try to make a decision based on that. And and he's a little bit different. And I think the suggestion that we just need to like take our time to um, have these conversations really Mm -hmm. and take our time to ask questions and get a sense of where, what the knowledge base is. I do think one of the things that's been kind of on my mind in this conversation is that one of the residential eating disorder treatment centers that sometimes um, I do refer clients to if it's necessary, 
they have like a family week and I've asked a lot of questions about that family week just because I'm really curious to know kind of what's happening in that family week. And one of the the answers to that question had a lot to do with actually dads and fathers and not assuming that they have any knowledge, not to say they're stupid at all, but just to not assume that there's an understanding and to provide the education that I think sometimes men just get treated as if they know this information or they'd be embarrassed to not know it and so they're not given it because they're not maybe actively seeking it out like the mother or the female and to just not further leave them out but to really just assume that no everyone just loves their kid and just wants to do the best for them and just doesn't have the time to maybe understand some of these things and to give them just a, a good education and non-judgmental yeah. education. I think it, it almost sounds like the most important thing is to just ask for your partner to listen. I really did appreciate how you kind of just listed it as one of the many things that parents have to navigate. You know, if there's two parents or at least two parents in the mix, you, you have to, even if it's just one person and you're just, one parent, you're trying to wrestle with these things by yourself. Like, how do you want to, like you said, deal with discipline, deal with education, like, and body image and feeding behaviors? Like, these are totally, it just should make the list. So one, if you can put it on your list of things to like get to, because I mean, gosh, it's, I have a big long list. And (laughs) we just keep, we'll get to it next month, because it's, we're so busy. But But also, I really like this reminder, like, don't assume that your partner knows as much as maybe you want them to, or that they're even in a position to verbalize a response. Because I think that, like you said, men are in many ways socialized to not have those tools. And so just to be able to ask for this to be on the agenda at some point in time and also just to have like an open mind and an open ear feels like wow that you're doing a lot to engage yeah going back to the article one of the things that providers that i interviewed said that was really helpful was just giving the male caregivers permission which was like permission to have feelings permission to have like just questions like just giving them a space to like even not know you know like really providing a like empathetic and, and non-judgmental space where if a partner says, hey, what, you know, how are we going to you know, nurture our children to be body positive? Uh, and the male caregiver is like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, I think being respectful of that and sort of having, giving that man permission to like not know and, and follow up in a, you know, a compassionate, empathetic, you know, educational way, uh, maybe giving them resources. I think those, those are, that's going to continue the conversation. That's going to help, mm-hmm. um, you know, move the, the needle versus potentially getting frustrated or angry or, you know, what do you mean you don't know? You know, those types of things like shutting that down or not giving them that space to to actually not know is uh, probably more harmful than anything. I think just making sure that that is okay. That is okay for them to not, not know. Yeah. One of the things that has worked for me with working with dads in particular is to, and moms as well, but I found that this question seems to go further with dads is to ask 
in what way do you tend to like is easiest for you to learn or gain information because I have a lot of kind of supporting things that I like people to try to read or to try to listen to so just saying like is it a video is it a podcast style is it um reading like what can you get to and then and then trying to tailor it to what's most accessible Mm -hmm. for their lifestyle that was really helpful Mm -hmm. of a question that that i started asking for my practice when i work with families or fathers is having the child or whoever the person is experiencing the eating disorder um having them actually be able to talk to their their father and say this this is what i need from you actually saying i need when when this comes up i need you to say x y and z i need you to come and hug me i need you to um you know remind me of my coping skills or something like that like not not to make it necessarily easy for them by giving them the exact wording and all that but but educating them from the level of the person who is experiencing the eating disorder um can can I think do really really well and and I think that you know taking it out of the eating disorder and into the like you know um, husband wife or spousal relationship or partner relationship um, again it could be a conversation about when our child or when our teenager or whoever whatever age starts to talk about food or body how what is the language we want to use um, in response to them that is going to be most empowering or most positive um, mm-hmm. and ultimately align with our values around these two topics. Yeah, and to create a united front. I mean, we did a whole episode about that first season. It's so it's very hard sometimes, but just to be striving to get on the same page and shore up that parental subsystem if there are two parents, it goes a long way. I mean, this has been such a, a wonderful conversation. I think we're going to close with our final question, which is just if each listener took away from this episode and did one thing on the regular to help their children fully bloom, what would you hope they do? Yeah, so I was thinking about this. I was sort of tailoring it a little bit towards male caregivers and fathers just because that's what the primary focus of this has been. And and I think that would ultimately just be to actually explore the relationship, uh, their relationship with food and body. And, uh, you know, not to be afraid of that and actually to do some reflection about it and what messages they've been given um, about food and, and eating and, and body image and what, what's expect, expected of them around those two topics to sort of bring some awareness to that. And then, and then second, I think getting, just getting involved. I think get involved in conversations, try not to shy away from them, um, you know, try to model um, good relationship with food and body to their children, um, you know, particularly boys, particularly around things like healthy exercise or, you know, body positivity, obviously intuitive eating. I think just in general, like no long, don't think anymore that this is not a domain or a realm in which you shouldn't be participating in, but but it is something you can participate in. And I think that starts with kind of uncovering a little bit about what your relationship with these two things are. Um, so you can be, you know, a positive role model and and be a part of the process. Um, and then I think a little bit, like I said before, looking for entry points to have conversations with with your kids about these things. And so I think that is around things like potentially watching sports and hearing about, you know, male, male bodies through sports through sports announcers or seeing, you know, body specs on the screen as they show, you know, the athlete, um, you know, and just being curious, being really, really curious about what their kids, especially if it's boys, you know, what do you think about these things? What do you think about when the announcer makes these comments about bodies like that? Um, and, and just see what kind of conversation comes out of that. And likely it will be rewarding. And, and from that, you can hopefully make some good 
body positive and healthy relationship to food comments. <laughs> um, I really love that, the sort of simplicity of just ask your kid. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, what do you think about it? It's really... <laughs> And, and, and literally have no expectations about Zero what's going to come back. You may hear nothing. But just to be able to mm-hmm. go from either not saying anything, which is sort of yeah. tacitly condoning this sort yep. of thing, and not necessarily, you know, screaming at the television to shoot. <laughs> you, you could right. do that, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> like, I'm outraged, you know. Yeah. But to, to just be like, huh, like, what do you think yeah. about that? Or I think about how you were saying that you could say that about, like, The Rock. Like, yeah. what do you think about that? Like. Doesn't he look like a, so unrealistic, huh? You know, right. I mean, just just so like less is more. I, mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's helpful. Just what mm-hmm. do you think about that? Yeah, and I think I think you I think in that it's very easy then to validate whatever the kid's body is, right? You know, if if the kid says something like, "Yeah, I really wish that I could be that big," you know, it's like you, you know you could very easily say like, you know, I love you just the way you are, you know, like. It doesn't have to be this magical, like, you know, perfectly worded thing. It's, it's just being able to find those small moments, those small entry points that, that kids are often not necessarily thinking that are really going to be transformative, but they actually could be really transformative. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, let's leave it at that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. So that's our show. As a reminder, we will be taking a two-week holiday break to spend body-positive quality time with our family and kiddos, and we'll be back with a brand new episode on January 8th, 2020. Yes, we'll see you next year. (laughs) We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode, so please feel free to send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. Please consider for the new year becoming a patron of our podcast by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon so that we can continue producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next year (laughs) for more body positive parenting wisdom. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.